Life's Everyday Mystery Solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Welcome aboard. There's yttrium, ytterbium, actinium, rubidium, and boron, gadolinium, niobium, iridium, and strontium, and silicon, and silver, and samarium, and bisothromine, lithium, beryllium, and barium. Way back in 1957, on April 1st, the British television program Panorama aired a hoax showing a woman harvesting a substance from a tree that actually does not grow on trees. What was that substance? So again, in 1957, on April 1st, British television program Panorama aired a hoax showing a woman harvesting a substance from a tree, a substance that actually does not grow on trees. In 1971, On the Apollo 15 mission to the moon, astronaut David Scott carried a feather with him. Why did he do that? Those are the questions that I'm uh, invigorating your mind with today. You can get started puzzling over that while we talk about some other things. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill's Office for Science and Society, where we have a mandate to separate sense from nonsense, myth from fact, a very challenging endeavor these days. Last uh, week, I told you that I would report back to you on something that we had talked about. And these were the so-called shot towers, because last week I had uh, posed a question uh, about uh, the Phoenix shot tower in Baltimore, which at a height of 71 meters was the tallest structure in the United States. It was made in 1828, and the purpose was to produce lead shot. And in these uh, shot towers, molten lead is dropped from a high platform at the top of the power th- uh, tower through a sieve-like device into cold water at the bottom. And uh, as the pieces of lead drop, they form a sphere, perfectly round sphere, uh, due to surface tension. And uh, by the time that they hit the water, they're round, they get cooled, and you have uh, lead shot, uh, mostly used in in shotguns, but elsewhere uh, also. And I told you that when I was looking into this this business, I came across uh, a number of uh, shot towers, including the uh, tallest one ever built, which is in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, as I was uh, reading about this business, all of a sudden my eyes focused on Montreal. And I discovered that we have a shot tower as well. And it was called the Stelco Shot Tower because of the company that uh, that had uh, built it. And uh, I uh, looked on the map to see where it was. And uh, I um, kind of located it on the map. Uh, it's actually not too far from McGill. And I thought that I would um, drive there to to see this. Uh, but uh, I didn't get a chance to do that uh, during last week. But lo and behold, yesterday, uh, we were out for uh, a walk along the uh, the canal that uh, 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 usually it's a bicycling path in the summer, but it's a great uh, walking path in the winter. So we were out walking there. Uh, actually, I was walking. Jody was uh, snowshoeing. 
snowshoeing is not exactly my thing. So we were kind of uh, meandering along. And then all of a sudden I look up and I see the tower. And uh, I was have uh, cycled by there and walked by there dozens and dozens of times in, uh, in the past and uh, seen it, but never made anything of it because of course I didn't know anything about the history that I just came across. But all of a sudden, uh, now it was a uh, uh, virtual, uh, you know, epic uh, building uh, as, you know, I had been reading about uh, these things and there it was standing right in, in, in front of me. So uh, of course it was a time to take a, a picture of it and indeed, it is very high. I, I'm not sure how high it is. Uh, if if someone can uh, go and calculate that, uh, you could do that by, uh, uh, I guess, going on a sunny day, looking at the shadow, and then doing a little trigonometry and calculating it. Uh, it is very high. And uh, you, I mean, you can't miss it when you're walking along the canal, <laughs> unless you're, you just uh, are not looking for such a thing. It, it becomes just part of the landscape, and you know we don't think about this. I mean, there's this this tall structure. It kind of looks like a giant chimney, which it is not. And I, I mean, I've never thought about what it is. I must have seen it, but never thought about it. But anyway, now I realize that it is really, really a, a, a interesting bit of history because these shot towers were made all over the world, and it was the first way uh, to make perfect lead balls for uh, for shotguns and uh, for for rifles uh, as, as well. And uh, there still are a number of these around the world, although the one in Baltimore, which I told you in 1828 was the largest structure in North America, that... Uh, that uh, uh, is no longer, of course, the largest structure in North America, but it is still there. And uh, there's the one in Melbourne. Uh, there are a number of others in, in England, uh, which is where they originated. The inventor was a gentleman by the name of William Watts, uh, who built the first one. So if you're looking for something uh, interesting and exciting to do, wander on, on down. It's uh, sort of on, on uh, Dominion Street. But anyway, if you put in Stelco uh, shot tower into Waze, you will find it. And uh, it is right here in our midst. And, uh, you know, a fascinating uh, uh, example of uh, historical building that most of us, of course, are not familiar with. But now you are. So go and have a look at this because it is really uh, exciting to see this little bit of... Uh, of history that uh, is right here in our midst. All right, let me uh, again reiterate the questions that uh, that I asked. And first, let me tell you that our contact number here is 514-790-0800, 514-790-0800. You can also text your comments and um, uh, questions to 514-800. And uh, we already do have an answer to the question of the stuff that grew on trees. I think it probably was not uh, uh, too difficult to track that down. Also, it was a very big story at the time it happened. And that hoax, of course, involved spaghetti growing on trees. And uh, this was a, a, a story that was made to look like a documentary. And the story was all about these farms in Switzerland that had found a way to grow spaghetti. Uh, and they said, not like on a scale that the Italians do, 
but uh, there was something advantageous about this uh, Swiss spaghetti, and that is that these trees had been cultivated to produce spaghetti strands of uniform length. And uh, also, uh, the program said, the ravenous spaghetti weevil had been conquered. And this was the weevil that was uh, uh, destroying spaghetti trees in Italy, but, but the Swiss had found a way to uh, counter this. Anyway, the, <laughs> the BBC switchboard was apparently jammed after this program by people who wanted to know exactly where they could go to see this harvest and whether it was possible to plant spaghetti trees at home. Well, if you called the BBC, you actually got to, to speak to someone uh, who would answer this question. And you would be told that uh, the best bet was to plant a can of spaghetti in a batch of tomato sauce. And I wonder if anyone ever uh, did that. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the Brits are very good at these kind of hoaxes. And they, of course, played it all out to, to, the, uh, to the extreme. So, yes, that's the answer to the question. Uh, it was an April Fool's joke, and it was a hoax. But it came along with a video where they actually showed uh, ladies harvesting the strands of spaghetti, which were all of equal length, uh, from a spaghetti tree. So someone had actually gone to uh, a great deal of effort to hang these strands of spaghetti from, from that tree because they're, if you take a look at the video, there are dozens and dozens of these strands hanging from the tree, and it all looks uh, very, very uh, authentic. And uh, it's just amazing the kind of things that uh, people will believe, but of course... There's no secret to that these days when we see all of the nonsense that people do believe. Okay, but there may be a bit of a secret about what is going on out there in the world of traffic. And uh, we'll let you in on that secret because we'll check for traffic right now. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Check traffic and be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Right, since we did have an answer to the uh, previous question that I asked about the spaghetti, uh, here's a new question for you. What is wrong with the biblical story of the walls of Jericho being brought down by the sound of trumpets? What is wrong with that story? Okay, I think we have Janet on the line. Janet? Yes, hi, Dr. Joe. I'm so happy hi. to finally get through to you. I have a little... Um mysterious little puzzle that I wonder if it's within your realm you could solve. For the last, I don't know, maybe five years, I own a lot of black clothing, like uh, tops and um, like a house dress kind of thing. And some are made of nylon, uh, not nylon, but like say spandex and cotton and some are rayon and cotton. So it doesn't really seem to be the fabric it's made from. But 
when I wash them, gradually over time, they've all become like sieves. They're full of holes. And I can't figure it out. It's not my soap. I've changed it. I've put in other black things, like a pair of black slacks. Nothing happens. But it's all these thin kind of um, fabrics. That just all my things are ruined. They're just full, full, mean, full of holes. <laughs> I can't what figure mean, out what, what I'm doing holes? wrong. And it's not the dryer. I switch dryers also. What do you, what do you mean holes? Well, the, the fabric becomes riddled with little tiny holes, as if a moth had eaten them. Well, moths don't eat synthetics. No, I know they don't, but I'm just saying that it looks like a moth had gotten to them. So what the heck is going on? And it's only the black clothing, nothing else. Well, without seeing it, I can't even make a guess. Can you send, can you send <laughs> me a picture? I should send you pictures. Picture? It's hysterical. Pic- yeah, I'd like to see the picture. Then maybe I can... Well, maybe I'll send them to you if I can, because it's just, I, it's beyond my can. I can't figure it out for yeah, the life well, of me. Kind of thing we, you know, and one more quick it. question. Yeah. I don't know if you know the answer. Um, they advertise some hair products on TV to regrow some hair where there's slightly bald spots, and right. they say they're drug-free. Are they okay to this use, the, or are they... The, the, no. I mean, the only, the only substances that that uh, are known to regrow hair are uh, Rogaine and Minoxidil. Uh, Rogaine cannot be used by women. Uh, Minoxidil and that's okay? Can. It's safe to use? Uh, Minoxidil is safe to use. The results are not great, uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's worth a try. It's worth Generally, it. the satisfaction is around 10%. Okay, because at healthy. the moment I'm spraying the back of my husband's head. Just <laughs> 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 color it in periodically uh, yeah, if we're I going mean, that, out. That, that, that works. So, I mean, there's actually a product to do that. I know. You're not, just, you're not just using ordinary car spray paint. But one day before this product came out, my husband was going to the airport, and I colored the back of his head in with a black eyebrow pencil. Mm-hmm. And he was meeting some big executives, and the damn thing ran all the way down his back of his neck and colored well, the, the yeah. collar of I mean, his uh, shirt black. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani uh, can give you some comments on that. Oh, yes. His, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, his hair dye ran. <laughs> it was running all down his face. But there, there, uh, there was a product, actually, I'm, I'm not sure it's still on the market, which came in a spray can. Yeah. And it contained little bits of, of nylon, colored nylon. Okay. And the idea was to spray this on your uh, baldening spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as long as there was still some fuzz there, uh, these little pieces would <laughs> yeah. stick to the, to the fuzz. And uh, they, they had, uh, you know, TV commercials with pictures of before and after, which, of course, looked a lot better than what anyone in real life. <laughs> But uh, that, that product uh, was widely advertised on TV, although I haven't seen it recently. But the only thing scientifically is minoxidil, and it's not. Okay. Good. Okay. Well, thanks so much. And if I You're can get welcome. around to showing you my uh, yeah. holy clothing, I'll get the picture to you. Okay. Okay, thanks so Bye. much. Bye-bye. Okay, Arthur. I think we got Arthur on the line. Arthur? The feather... Uh the feather that the astronaut brought was he wanted to see if it would fall at the same rate as something else in the absence of uh, the atmosphere on the mm. moon. And you know what is the what was the something else that he took along? Oh, that <laughs> I guess it could have been anything that uh, had yeah. some mass to it. Yeah, it was actually a hammer. 
A hammer, so, okay. Yeah. So, he could have uh, used a chisel. And, and we saw this live on TV. He took a, a feather and a hammer and he dropped them. And of course, they both hit the surface of the moon at the same time. And the reason for that is that, of course, there's no air on the moon. And uh, the acceleration of gravity is uh, is the same, uh, you know, uh, no matter what the mass of the substance is. So two substances of diverse, different masses will fall at the same same rate. And that was clearly demonstrated on the moon. Of course, that had been... Uh, philosophized before and uh, you know there's no uh, no question about uh, uh, is there a way to you, to duplicate that uh, well, um, experiment could, on could, earth you could duplicate it on earth if you had a, a, a vacuum system and and these vacuum systems uh, do exist um, astronauts train in these chambers where the the air is is removed and uh, so you could, uh, question, do, you doctor. could do it there. I have this old TV in my room. It's been unplugged for years. And at night, you can still see the screen. What is it? What do you mean you can see the screen? Like you, mean, you, you can you... see like, a, like it's not like completely black. You can see it in the dark, the screen of the TV. Like a, there's some sort of phosphorescent material in there. Yeah. What kind? Well, yes, phosphorescent, something that, that glows. Is so that the, radioactive? The, yeah, no, oh. it's not radioactive. It's not radioactive, but oh, okay. but they, the old TV screens, yeah. indeed, were made of a material that that was uh, phosphorescent. So you know, it's not surprising you wouldn't see that on the new LED TV screens, right? So you've noticed something, you know, uh, interesting, and yeah, I mean that that experiment that was done on the moon was was very spectacular because it's so counterintuitive, you know that. You drop a feather and a hammer, and they hit the ground at the uh, and the same at the same time. A lot of things and, are counterintuitive. Yeah, you you could. I mean, you could do a similar experiment on on Earth. Of course, you can't do it with a feather because the feather will be retarded by the air resistance. But you can take uh, two metal balls of of totally different uh, weights and drop them, and you'll see that they hit the ground at the same time. So, you know that that's an experiment that that could be done, and uh, uh, you know they're historically supposedly you know that was done from the leaning leaning tower of Pisa, uh, whether it actually was done or not is, is hard to say. But you, I mean, you could drop two objects, uh, totally different masses, and as long as their air resistance is about the same. Uh, they would hit the ground at the same time. Tell me, they they say tons of matter from the from the uh, from the cosmos lands on Earth every day. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, does that increase the uh, the um, the gravity as you know the eons pass, the Earth gets bigger? Does that increase the gravity? No, no. no. I mean, they, they although we're hit by tiny particle of matter all the time. Right. The amount of that compared to the mass of the Earth is nothing. Yeah, but all over right. the so, millions of years yeah. it builds up? No, well, uh, whatever I've seen about that, they, they, the reference is always that it doesn't amount to anything that is... Uh, anyway, thanks a lot, Doc. Okay, thank you. All right, so we've had uh, those questions uh, answered, and uh, so I will now pose another one. <clears throat> Dr. James Barry was a British Army surgeon who graduated from Edinburgh Medical School at the age of 14 
and had a long career in which he espoused cleanliness, diet, and smallpox vaccination. He was adored by patients, but not by colleagues who deemed him to be cocky and quarrelsome. But this doctor had a secret that was publicly revealed only upon his death. What was that secret? If you know the answer, you give us a call at 514-790-0800 or text us at 514-800. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll check the CTV News and be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Do you look upon the universe with wonder in your eyes? Do you tingle with attention when you're taken by surprise? If a problem should perplex you, does it put your brain in gear? Then you're ready for adventure on the science frontier. Let's take a little trip into space. Because this morning I asked a question about an astronaut uh, who would venture out from the space station to take a, a spacewalk and take along with him an air fryer. And it would be a battery-powered uh, air fryer. And it's loaded with French fries. And you set the timer to about 15 minutes and the temperature to 200 degrees C, which is exactly what you would do with an air fryer on Earth. And the question was, roughly, how long would it take uh, in space to cook those fries? Well, it was maybe a touch of a trick question because you would not be able to cook the fries in an air fryer in space because, as the name implies, an air fryer requires the presence of air. An air fryer is really nothing more than a convection oven. It's the same idea as the oven that you have in, in, uh, in your kitchen, where elements heat the air, and then it is the air that heats the food. What happens in an air dryer, in an air fryer, is that you have a fan which circulates the air so that the heat is dis distributed more efficiently, and you don't have a cooling at the surface of the food from the fact that the food is at a lower temperature when you start and uh, it cooks uh, faster. So it is really not, a, not some magical appliance, you know, like the advertisers would have you believe that you can make food that tastes exactly like you had fried it for, uh, for real in, by immersing it in, in, in oil. So anyway, in, in, uh, in an air fryer, you're cooking by uh, convection, which means that you need some fluid either air or a, a liquid, to be in contact with the food that you're cooking that will transfer the, the heat from an element where the air or the other liquid is, is, is being heated. And it's just a question of how efficiently you can transfer that, uh, that heat. Now, because there is no air in space, it's a vacuum, so your air fryer would be, sp would be uh, there would be no air in it. It would be a vacuum, and therefore the convection is not a possibility. Now, if you want to, to stretch the, uh, the answer to this a little bit, you can say that, well, the fries maybe would still cook. It would take a very, very long time because the heat from the element in the oven would also radiate. And uh, so radiation is the transfer of energy through space without requiring a medium. 
like sunlight hitting the earth, right? It travels through the vacuum of space, but it hits us. So yeah, there would be some radiation, but the whole idea of uh, an air fryer is that uh, it heats the food by convection. I don't have an air fryer. I don't see really any reason to, to get one, but I know that there are people who, who, who love them. I don't exactly understand why, because um, it really is just a small oven. I guess it's maybe it's easier to clean. And uh, if you're really interested in the food cooking faster, uh, then there may be a reason to, to do that. But I, I don't buy the idea that uh, you can make fries in a, a air fryer that tastes like real French fries. But if anyone has any better experience with an air fryer, I'd be happy to hear from you. Tell me, um, um, tell me about that. I've got a couple of questions that have been texted in here. Uh, someone who keeps uh, olive oil in a brown bottle and uh, runs out and wants to fill it up with olive oil. Question is, do you have to rinse out the bottle? Not really. If you're putting olive oil into olive oil, no problem. Olive oil keeps for a long time. Uh, another uh, question about uh, the possibility of a dangerous amount of pesticide residues on fruits and vegetables. Well, of course, there are pesticide residues on fruits and vegetables because pesticides are used to grow them, uh, unless you're talking about organic agriculture. But even then, there are pesticides. It's just that they have to be uh, of an organic nature, which means that they have to be found in uh, in nature without any alteration. Uh, but... Uh, uh, that doesn't mean that they're any safer. As I've told you so many times, natural does not equal to safe and synthetic does not equal uh, dangerous. Whether you're talking about uh, organic pesticides or conventional pesticides, regulatory agencies monitor these. Health Canada monitors them here. In the US, they are monitored uh, by um, uh, FDA. And uh, there are limits to the amount of pesticide residues that are acceptable. And it's very rare that any of the, the random samplings that are done would reveal um, anything in excess of the, uh, of the limits. But because our techniques of um, identifying these substances today are so good, we can measure things down to the parts per trillion level. Um, yes, we will find all kinds of contaminants. The question, of course, is, does that really matter? Obviously, the uh, cornerstone of toxicology is a good old Paracelsus famed statement that only the dose makes the poison. And the amount of pesticide residue that is, is uh, on fruits and vegetables is, is really trivial. Now, of course, there are people who will argue that, yeah, it may be trivial, but builds up over a lifetime. We just don't have <clears throat> any evidence for that. Uh, pesticides are, are uh, generally metabolized by the body and their remnants are ex excreted. Is, is it possible to guarantee that there is no uh, risk at all from these? No, because, of course, in order to do a study on that, which is essentially <clears throat> undoable, you'd have to have two groups of people, one who ate only conventional food and the other ate exactly the same food, but without any pesticide residues. And you'd have to monitor these people for decades, because if there's any sort of adverse reaction, it would take decades to be manifested. It cannot be done. So what we do is make, uh, hopefully, 
educated guesses based on the evidence that we have available. And the evidence that we have available says that, that uh, whatever risk may be posed by uh, pesticide residues on fruits and vegetables is greatly outweighed by the benefits of eating fruits and, and, and vegetables. Should you wash them? Yes, of course you should. Uh, because uh, there are other issues there besides pesticides and mostly bacteria. You know that periodically we have scares about uh, bacteria, you know, like salmonella, for example, you know, on, on, on foods. And, and uh, uh, we've had all kinds of scares about romaine lettuce being uh, bacterial contaminated. So, yes, of course, you should wash um, the food before you eat it. But I don't think you have to be neurotic. I don't think you need to use any kind of, of soap. <laughs> then you worry more about the soap residues. You rinse these things under running water, and um, you will get off most of the bacteria on, on, the, uh, on the surface. Uh, but, you know, the, the world is full of bacteria, and we have E. coli contamination quite commonly. Uh, but, uh, again, you need a certain dose of bacteria to be infected. So, yes, of course, wash everything, but do not go crazy worrying about, uh, you know, pesticide uh, residues. And again, you know, it's, it's important to realize that there are government agencies that look out for the public's welfare. And these are staffed by knowledgeable scientists, many of them agro experts in agricultural chemistry, experts in epidemiology, and they can evaluate uh, which pesticides can be used under what conditions and what amount of residue is acceptable. And you know, I, I know that today, for some some bizarre reason, uh, th there's a lack of trust in, in in scientists and in government agencies. But I can tell you that I've I've worked with a lot of the people in those agencies, and they are dedicated people. They're good scientists, and and uh, they have families. They eat food also, and they are you know adamant about making sure that our food supply is as safe as it, it can be. And uh, you know, just because there may be some residue of a pesticide doesn't mean that that residue is doing some harm. I mean, there are all kinds of things that get into our body from the food that we eat, including a large number of natural toxins. Anyway, you're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. Let's once more check traffic and we'll be right back. Life's Everyday Mystery Solved, The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. I think uh, we have kept Johnny waiting for a long time. Johnny. How's it going, Dr. Joe? Not bad. You? Pretty good, pretty good. It's a Sunday. I have two questions for you. My first question is, is alcohol like rum and vodka still good after 20 or 30 years? Yes. Great. Next. <laughs> Next one. Can I use olive oil as a lubricant for my electric shaver? No, you can't. The The olive oil will uh, eventually gum up the, the shaver because it... Uh, it's an unsaturated fat, although it's a monounsaturated. It will oxidize, 
and uh, it will polymerize and it will gum up the shaver. You cannot. You have to use machine oil for that. Oh, okay, great. Okay, which Thank is you. just hydro. It's a mixture of hydrocarbons, not fats. Okay, okay, I see. Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. All right, uh, we have Chris on the line as well. Chris. Yes. Can you hear me? I hear you. Yeah, I was wondering uh, when the pandemic hit, what took the scientists or the uh, researchers to realize that COVID was more airborne rather than contact? Uh, the epidemiology. You, you follow the disease patterns and you see who gets sick. And you try to identify where they were, who they were in contact with, you know, what, what could have uh, uh, caused it. And uh, also, uh, in terms of um, surfaces, uh, you know, the possibility of, of transmitting, there were a number of studies that were done by assaying surfaces to see how long the virus can survive on those surfaces. And it turns out that uh, it doesn't survive for, for a very long time. And although in theory it is possible that you touch a, a, a surface that has, someone has just coughed on or sneezed on, you touch it, and then you would touch your eye or your nose or your mouth, in theory it is possible to uh, transmit like that. But uh, the evidence has indicated that uh, uh, that is very unlikely to happen and that uh, most of the transmission has been uh, explained by aerosol transmission. So it's a question of, you know, seeing enough cases and uh, tracing them to see where they could have been in, infected. And, uh, you know, we would have seen that, uh, you know, people getting infected who have not been in contact with other people getting infected from touching things. But that just hasn't shown up. Okay? So we don't worry anymore very much about what are known as fomites, that is, uh, surfaces that can transmit. Okay, the, thank the, you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, are we getting too optimistic about dropping COVID hospitalizations? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think when we are looking at patterns, uh, you know, uh, from around the world, especially from South Africa, we see the same thing that uh, first the Omicron uh, variant uh, causes a lot of misery, a lot of, uh, of uh, infections and hospitalizations, and then it kind of fades away. And that's what we're seeing now. now of course, it's not a, not a question of, of totally relaxing. I, I think we have enough evidence that masks work. But uh, uh, I think in, in terms of um, you know, opening up uh, restaurants and movie theaters and, and gyms, as, as we are now doing, uh, we're getting to a point where um, we just have to consider doing that. And, you know, the, the terminology that is so often used these days is that we have to learn to live with the virus. And, uh, you know, you, you uh, may end up being infected. And uh, the evidence, though, is that if you're triply vaccinated, uh, that infection is not going to put you into the uh, ICU. So uh, I, I think that uh, we're following uh, evidence. Uh, cases are, are dropping. And uh, there's no, we'll never get to a situation with this virus where there's no risk. So we just have to take our, our reasonable chances 
but uh, you know you can't cocoon yourself for uh, the rest of your life. So I think we're going down the right path. Someone else here wants to know about fruit flies and whether or not washing your bananas will get rid of them. Well, fruit flies uh, are, are generally brought into the house, on obviously on, on fruit, where the fruit flies have laid their eggs and the eggs will hatch. Um, it, it can uh, be pretty nasty because they lay a lot of eggs. Uh, one way to try to solve this is to leave an open container uh, of uh, uh beer or wine or any really anything quite sweet cover it with a plastic wrap and puncture the plastic wrap with holes and uh, they can fly in but they can't fly out so that's one way to run fruit flies but uh, on the other hand they they are not uh, they're not harmful you know they don't put any toxins uh, into in, into the food so I don't think you have to worry about that much. Uh, as far as washing your bananas, uh, I have never heard that, but it, it doesn't really make any sense because if uh, fruit flies have laid their eggs in, in the in the banana, you wouldn't be able to wash them out. It's not on the surface. So uh, anyway, fruit flies are not a, they're not a major, uh, major problem. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I actually asked a question that never got answered. Uh, I wanted to know what Frogoli syndrome was. And uh, I guess it wasn't answered because it is not a common condition. It is the irrational belief that a familiar person, typically someone persecuting the affected individual, is disguised as various other people. Uh, there are other such conditions. I mean, you know, these are uh, basically recognized by psychiatrists. Um, Capgrass syndrome, for example, is the irrational belief that a familiar person has been replaced by an exact duplicate. Now, you would think that, you know, this is a little bit far-fetched. Who would ever, you know, come across something like that? But uh, they do, and it's not... Uh, uh, a unique case. There, there are significant number of cases recorded of Capgras syndrome. So again, it's this belief, obviously irrational, that a familiar person has been replaced by an exact uh, duplicate. Uh, and then there's Cotard syndrome, C-O-T-A-R-D, another irrational belief that part of your body is missing or that you are dead or don't exist. And one would think that these these are kind of fictional conditions, but they're not. They are extensively uh, described in the you know in, in the scientific literature. So now you know about Frigoli syndrome, about Capgras syndrome, and about Cotard syndrome, and hopefully you will not not have to deal with uh, any of these. Uh, we then get around to answering uh, the question that I posed about Dr. James Berry, who was a British Army surgeon who graduated from Edinburgh Medical School at age 14, had a long career in which he espoused cleanliness, diet, and smallpox vaccination, adored by patients, but not by colleagues, who deemed him to be cocky and quarrelsome. And this doctor had a secret that was publicly revealed only upon his death. Well, the fact that we didn't get around to answering that question uh, means that uh, I will keep it till next time. 
which also means that you have a whole week to try to find an answer to the mystery of Dr. James Berry. And therein, of course, lies uh, a very interesting story. We have once again run out of time. The hour, as usual, has uh, flown by, as do the weeks and the months and the years. But we will be back with you, same time, same station, next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right. <laughs>